G'day guys and welcome to this week's episode of the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. Today we've got a special guest. We've got my friend um, who's staying with us actually um, at the moment, Lane Norton, who's currently topless while filming this. So it's a I'm in your piece. fridge eating your foods. <laughs> welcome Lane, how are you? I'm good, man. Uh, you know, been uh, always fun coming out to Oz. I've been out here in three and a half years. And of course, you know, you and Lauren been so nice to put me up and deal with my messiness and uh, haphazard eating habits, which I very appreciate. I very much appreciate. But you got a beautiful house, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. So. What we have, we we don't have too much time, guys. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of push through some questions. But first, I just want Lane. I'm sure you guys all know Lane. I've talked about Lane a lot, in a in a in a great way, of course. Um, Lane, I've probably been following following since about I think 2010 or 11. I think I saw things on like simplyshredded.com or on bodybuilding.com and all these weird stuff. And what I normally do, me being the weird guy that I am, I find someone I like and and then I try to Google them and read everything they had. And so Lane, I remember was the first one who I ever learned not just to use um, generic macro percentages. You know, back in the day, everyone would do, all right, protein, 40%, carbs, 40%, fat, 20%. I remember an article I read from Lane, it was the first time ever it was, you know, protein off your body weight, fat off your body weight, carbs, the, the remain. I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And and so that was the first kind of time I I heard about Lane and yeah, and so I've been following him for years and now he's built this massive, massive empire of things where I always feel like I'm doing a lot until I see how many businesses Lane has. So he's just collecting massive businesses. So Lane, do you want to just give people a rundown of your story? Yeah, it was all part of my plan to get invited to your house and sit out by your pool. You know, it's uh, it was a plan like 13 years in the making. <laughs> it worked. Yes, it did. Um, so just real briefly, because I can I can give the long version of the story, which is like over an hour, but um, the five-minute synopsis is I got picked on a lot in school, um, didn't really get attention from girls, so I started lifting weights to try to fix those problems. Lifting weights didn't fix either of those problems, but I just fell in love with lifting weights. And um, the more I got into it, the more I realized – you know, there's so much conflicting information. Um, you know, I'd read the muscle magazines. This is circa like 2000, 2001. One magazine would say one thing. One magazine would say another. The same magazine would say contradicting things. And sometimes they'd say contradicting things in the same issue. So it was just like, you just kind of felt like, oh, like what to believe. And so I got really interested in the science behind body composition, um, studied a lot of nutrition. I just found the nutrition side more fascinating to me. And um, so I was in undergrad, competed in my first bodybuilding show, got hooked, um, and then switched my major to biochemistry. Um, I was originally going for biology, switched to biochemistry because I wanted to learn more about the human body. Then about three years in, I had been writing for bodybuilding.com, like I've been posting on their forums, and I was just fascinated by some of the conversations I had. I've been posting on another uh, forum called mindedmuscle.net as well. Um, and that one had a lot of really smart people on it. And we'd have like a lot of debates and stuff. And sometimes I'd get stumped and I'd be like, oh, I don't, I don't like this, you know? And so 
I just kind of wanted to know everything. <laughs> um, and so three years in, I'm writing these articles. I'm about to graduate, but I didn't really feel like a professional. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I wanted to do something in fitness, but at the time it was like, if you wanted to make money, it was like be a PT, try to win Mr. Olympia, open a gym, start a supple line. And none of those seemed super appealing to me. So I kind of decided, well, you know, I'll go to grad school, do a master's or a PhD. And hopefully when I get finished, I'll have figured out what I want to do and I won't be unemployed. Um, so I started by, I went to University of Illinois, started my PhD with a guy named Dr. Don Lehman, who is kind of like one of the, the grandfathers of protein metabolism, um, just an absolute goat in nutritional science. And so fortunate to have him as my advisor. Started doing research, um, continued to do articles, continued to do bodybuilding shows. Started doing a video series of bodybuilding.com that got pretty popular. You know, I just kept, um, I kept doing stuff in the fitness industry. Like I just, I think a lot of it was momentum. You know, I just always kept momentum going. Like if somebody had a thing on, even if it wasn't paying well, if it's got in front of a lot of eyeballs, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. You know what I mean? Like I never let my ego kind of get in the way of me doing something that I saw as an opportunity to like reach more people. Um, so most of the stuff I did for the first 10 years of my fitness career, I never even got paid for. Um, and then... In 2005, my first year of grad school had just ended. Um, you know, I get a lot of emails from people regarding nutrition and training. I was doing full-on nutrition plans, full-on training plans for people for free. And at some point, I was like, you know, I, I got to get, I got to justify my time because now I'm in grad school. So I started charging like, I think I started out charging like 10 bucks a week. Like it was stupid, you know. Online? Yeah, yeah. Um and, you know, what was funny is I was doing a lot of the things right that we tell people to do now, like if they want to build an online business, right? Like I was putting out content. That was before people called it content, right? Um, so that was generating leads. Um, I was, you know, making my services appealing by being low cost, which allowed me to get testimonials, allowed me to get referrals. Then as I got more demand, I was able to raise my prices. And so by the time I graduated in 2010, I was pretty much, I mean, I was, I was already earning like six figures off my coaching business. I was like, oh, I guess I don't have to get a real job. You know, just kept doing that. Um, got some other business opportunities that came up, you know, throughout the years that I, most of which I still am into. And uh, yeah, I've just always like, you know, people, it's funny, you know, after this past year, I did have a pretty good bump this past year in popularity. They're like, how'd you blow up? And I'm like, you never know. I never blew up. You just found out about me because you heard me on Huberman or Dak Shepard or, or one of these big podcasts. But the fact of the matter is, like, I only got on that because they found out about me somewhere else. And I only got on that because that person found out about me somewhere else. And it's, I really like the Steve Jobs quote, you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. And so what I would say to a lot of youngsters out there or people who want to make it in this industry, what I always say is, like, just start doing stuff like you're, you're not like there was no grand plan for me like there was no plan it was just go you know what I mean I just started executing and I'm sure you see this as well like so many people just have paralysis by like I do an entire talk on paralysis by analysis and one of my things I say is planning has killed more dreams than failure ever could because if you're failing at least you're out there doing shit you know and what you'll find is if you're smart and you're resilient failure just makes you better 
Now, everybody talks about that. Everybody talks about failure until it's time when they actually go to fail and they're like, fuck this, I'm out, you know? Um, and so what I'll say is like, just stay in the industry because the average lifespan, the fitness industry is less than two years. So if you just, yeah, if you, if you just like literally don't exit as soon as things go wrong, you're already ahead of 95% of people, you know, but most people it's like, they're so soft because of the way things are brought up or the way things are presented now, especially on social media, you know, it just looks like everybody, you know, people follow us and like, Oh, it just looks like things go so great. I really try to be good. I know you do this too, about posting about the downs as well as the ups because not and people are like, oh, you're just looking for sympathy or want to complain. And that's not it. I want people to see, hey, I go through this shit too, but it doesn't mean I'm going to stop. I'm just going to keep going, but I'm going to talk about it while it's going on because it's too easy to talk about it afterwards, you know? So just stay in it. And, you know, if anything, I would just say, you know, like I'm not the smartest, I'm not the most muscular, I'm not the strongest, I'm not the funniest. Do this stuff. I am the cutest, uh, most adorable, but I will out volume the fuck out of everyone. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, I'm still here 20 years later. I think Lane says a lot of stuff, you know, I've kind of said about to even PTs of just, you know, putting in work and not expecting things to kind of pay off. For me, it took about nine, 10 years or so before I really got noticed. And everyone was like, Oh, who is this guy? And um, so, yeah, so, uh, what I really like about Lane is he did things at the start without much expectation of getting a big reward back right away. I remember, I actually remember this because this is one of the benefits of following about 10 people. You remember things like this <laughs> is that I remember I started following Lane. I think he had like 12,000 followers. It was around that mark. Ooh, wow. And I was like, oh man, that guy's Insta famous. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's when it seemed a lot. And now he's got oh, almost 800,000 on Instagram alone. So massive. Um, all right. So today guys, let me have one thing. So you said something that I, I just want to touch on real quick, which is like put the work in without expecting a return. So I think that is what a lot of people struggle with. And that's why they stick with things where they get a steady paycheck, because I think a lot of people are willing to do the work when they know there's an outcome. And the hard thing about grand goals is you've got to be willing to do the work with absolutely no promise of any kind of outcome. But if you continuously execute, it's kind of like the same principles in fat loss or building muscle or whatever. If you continuously execute consistently over a long period of time, the data says you will be successful, right? But it's almost like, and I'm I'm not religious, but you've almost got to ha just have faith. You know what I mean? And it's like a blind faith that if you continue to do those things correctly, it will work out. And at the end of the day, you've got to be willing to put the work in with no promise of an outcome. Because if you don't put the work in, you're definitely not going to get the outcome. Yeah, I I was actually just talking to Lane the other day. We were, we were talking about kind of like a, a plan, like what's what's your plan in your next few years? And I was like, oh, I actually don't know. All I know is that I'm going to keep trying to do the little things well each day. And that's what I've been doing the last few years. And, you know, the world changes quickly. But if you can just keep doing the basics well, getting better, getting smarter, do all the little things well, things seem to take care of themselves um weirdly in life so yeah um all right guys so lane obviously is really a specialist around body composition um lane is someone a, a, probably my main mentor definitely around nutrition um I, I actually even did mentoring with lane uh, i think 2018 um yep. 
so yeah, so obviously Lane is someone I quote a lot of. You've done all my programs and stuff like that. So what we want to do, I'll talk about is more around fat loss guys and a little bit on subs because Lane has amazing supplement company as well. So firstly, there's something going around these days where I've noticed in mainstream media or even when I read books and stuff like that, you know, you used to get a lot of funky stuff around nutrition about, you know, hormones and stuff like that. And these days, you know, mainstream media now I hear the term hey yes losing weight isn't that hard you need to eat less and move more which has been a big change from you know you need to do keto you need to do atkins and all these kind of things but on the same side is that now i see a lot of the fitness community then don't like that comment you're saying you know you're simplifying it um no it's so much more complicated than that and for me i want to, to get, I guess, your interpretation of it because I'm a big fan of just the basics. If you can mm -hmm. push people towards the basics, and yes, it might be so many variables to fat loss and mental side of things and all these things, but is eat less, move more good advice to the general public? So I think this is where people confuse a, like, something being simple with being easy to execute. Okay. Just because a concept is simple doesn't mean it's easy to execute. I mean, most people are broke. I think there was a, a study like 80% of Americans could not write a $5,000 check if they had to, or something like that. So why are people broke? Well, if you want to accumulate wealth, what do you have to do? You have to earn more money than you spend. That's it. That's it. All you have to do to save money is earn more money than you spend. Simple. So just, Everyone go not be broke, right? Well, the problem is much like nutrition, people's, their spending habits for a reason. There's nutritional habits for a reason. Most people do these things on autopilot. This is not necessarily, I think people have this impression of obese people that, oh, every time they're eating something, they're making a decision. I know that this will make me, gain body fat, but I'm okay with that because I want it. I like the taste so much. That conversation never happens. This stuff is all on autopilot, you know? Um, it's Tuesday, so it's Taco Tuesday. So I go there with my coworkers. It's Wednesday, so it's, or it's Thursday, so it's happy hour. You know, like these are, these are habits that have become ingrained in, and most people just aren't cognizant of it. So yes, the, the the advice of eat less, move more, the idea is you're trying to increase your energy expenditure, reduce your energy intake to create a negative energy balance, which will help you lose fat. Yes, if you're in a negative, negative energy balance, you will lose fat. Any hormone that has any kind of impact on weight loss or weight gain does so by either affecting energy expenditure, whether it's through basal metabolic rate or whether it's through meat or whether it's through thermic effect of food, and, or through appetite side, right? And in fact, if you look at, you know, everybody got so hung up on metabolism for a long time. If you look at obese people, if you look at the data, they do not have slower metabolisms than people who are lean. In fact, for type 2 diabetics, whether it's type 2 diabetics or not, they tend to have faster metabolisms. Now, when you standardize for lean body mass, there's really not much difference. But the point is they're, they're not becoming fat because they have a slow metabolism. Now, there are individuals who may have a slower metabolism than the normal. But for the most part, it's because they have lower lean body mass. 
Um, now, yes, if you something like thyroid hormone, if you're hypothyroid, uh, it can drop your BMR by like, you know, 10 to 25%, something like that. But it doesn't mean that a calorie deficit doesn't work for you. It just means that what should be a calorie deficit is going to be lower for you than everybody else. But oh, by the way, you can go get your, like people who always talk about hormones. I'm always like, well, have you had them measured? Well, no. Okay, well then what the fuck are we talking about? Like go get them measured. But what I find a lot of is it's like people don't want to do a budget, right? Because then you're going to see, you're going to reveal the truth of where, well, I'm not spending that much money. Well, if you're not saving, obviously you are. You're just not aware of where it's going. If you're not losing fat, it's because you're not in a calorie deficit. You're just not aware of where you're spending your calories. So I think people, they use this hormone excuse and they, they don't want to get it measured because if they did and found out it's normal, now that excuse goes away. Or if they got it measured and it, something is low, then if they get it, you know, if they like, if you're hypothyroid, for example, you can get Synthroid or you can get, you know, an endocrinologist to prescribe you medication. But again, now that, now that's not an excuse anymore. Right. So I think a lot of people like to have this like blanket excuse. It's almost like handicapping, you know? Um, so I'll say though, do you feel like though a lot of a lot of the time, so you see people talk about hormones and they say they've gone and spoken to someone, it's never normally an endocrinologist. Yeah, it's a natural normally path. something else. Yeah. Yeah, this is gonna piss off a lot of people. There may be good naturopaths out there, but I have not met one yet. Um, every single one I've ever seen says absolute fuckery and nonsense. Um, if you have a hormonal problem, you need to go to an endocrinologist. That's a specialist. That's who can help you. Um, you know, naturopath Nancy uh, with her, you know, six month naturopathic degree from an unaccredited university is not an actual expert. Um, you need to go to an endocrinologist. Now, that being said, getting back to eat less, move more. Yes, if you can increase your energy expenditure and decrease your calories, it will help lead to fat loss. And yes, that is what you need to do. Just like if you want to save money, you need to earn more than you spend. But people need to be set up in terms of their habits and behaviors to be able to do that. And really, people get so focused on the expenditure side of, you know, well, how do we boost metabolism? How do we do this and that? Honestly, the drugs that actually work for boosting metabolism have lots of horrible side effects. I mean, you're talking about like DNP. DNP will raise your metabolic rate substantially. It'll also kill you if you like take just a little bit too much. Um, clenbuterol. Clenbuterol will raise your metabolic rate. It can also kill you. Okay. So the drugs that have actually been, and, and then the, the legal supplements, that's just, I mean, caffeine raises your metabolic rate like 30, 40 calories per hour, but we like, that's only been tested over like a couple hour period. It's likely short-term and what it with caffeine, what about if you're someone who has it regularly, like we were talking about, like, does it matter if, if someone has it every day or is, is it going to be less effective than someone who never has it and then you give it to them? Right. So that's the problem. All these studies are short-term and we don't know like that effect. My guess is that effect probably goes away and it's probably transient. It's probably for a little bit and then it goes back down, right? Because when we give caffeine, the randomized control trials where they give caffeine, they do see like a little bit of weight loss, but it's pretty modest. Um, but what drugs do we see the 
biggest loss of weight with these new drugs. It's GLP-1 mimetics that act on the appetite side. It's funny, I've actually had people say, well, my metabolism's broken and that's why I need to take Ozempic. Um, Ozempic does not raise your metabolic rate. It is simply a powerful appetite suppressant. And so what we found is the drugs that are most effective for losing body weight act on the appetite side, which I'm fine with. I think that's great. I think that's really useful. But, um, you know, people don't like to hear that because that just means that they could eat less and lose the same weight. But, you know, again, obese people, it has been shown that they get a greater reward from food. They're more likely to be food focused, those sorts of things. So I'm fine with it. But people don't like to hear that because they don't want to hear that's on the appetite side of things. Do you feel with doctors kind of giving out medications like that, but without actually going over nutritional habits first and stuff like that, it's just kind of a, a really short-term result, which is often then just going to crash and burn if you don't improve those habits first? So that's a great question. And I think I did a video on Ozempic and the semiglutide and GLP-1 mimetics. And I think really you have to give it in conjunction with nutritional counseling because this is just going to be a solution for however long you're taking the drug. And I think most people would rather not be on drugs the rest of their life. And so if that's the case, you have to modify your nutritional habits because if you don't, when you get off the drug, like you need to learn, okay, I'm going to eat more filling foods as opposed to, you know, junk food or whatever it is. Like if Ozempic is such a powerful appetite inhibitor, you probably could eat junk food and lose weight because you're just not that hungry. Um, the other consideration is like, you know, protein tends to be like less palatable protein containing foods. And so there has been some concern with these drugs and loss of lean body mass. And I think some of that boils back to people just choose like lower protein foods because they're just not that hungry. Like, um, you know, there's some other drugs out there that can, you know, impede uh, appetite and, I mean, most people like you're trying to get down like either liquid calories or like something that's hyper palatable because just food is not that appetizing. And I've never taken semiglutide, but my understanding is like there is at least initially like some nausea and you just feel very full all the time. So like protein isn't the first thing you typically reach for. But if you're like adapted to basically just eating less junk than you already eat, you know, when you go off of it, what's going to happen? Well, your appetite's going to go back up. And if you haven't modified your habits, you're just going to regain everything. So on the topic of, you know, eat less, move more, I think that kind of works into well into the next point is that something I talk a lot about on my podcast is fat loss plateaus. You know, mm -hmm. obviously I work with a lot of competitors um, and people after transformations, you know, um, and unfortunately when you start dieting, you get that initial weight loss. It often doesn't mean you're going to have to be able to keep losing at that same calorie amount forever. And something I always find quite surprising is when people freak out, they're like, Oh my God, I lost 10 kilos on 2000 calories. And now I can't lose any weight. I'm like, did you change, drop your calories? Like, no. Yeah. Did you increase cardio? Like, no. So people are often, I think quite shocked that where they start their calorie deficit is not where they're probably going to finish it. Unless you know, when you, when you train comp prep competitors and who get stupidly lean, you know that wherever they're starting is going to be very different, most likely to where they're finishing, unless they're just a, a freak. So with that, I often talk about 
you know, obviously we can increase calorie expenditure through increasing cardio steps, probably a little bit more inefficient, but cardio. Um, and then obviously then, or we can increase the deficit from decreasing calories in. Um, I'm a personal, with, with personalized coaching, obviously it's much easier to kind of push towards the individual and see what they enjoy and stuff like that. Is there a side you kind of push to? Like, I'm a big fan, I think, for more busy general population people of actually dropping calories over the just, like I've seen coaches before, you know, they had gen pop client who could barely make the gym three times a week and they give him like 18,000 steps a day and they're on a 20% deficit, but they're not hungry and they're not losing. So they keep driving the expansion. It's like, just lower their calories. Um, so where, where do you kind of sit on this debate? Yeah, I think if you look at the research literature on aerobic exercise, I've kind of come back over the line on this, which is the research says you like you probably are better off increasing expenditure just because exercise doesn't yes, it can increase appetite, um, but it's not a full compensation. So for every 100 calories you increase from exercise, you get about a 28 calorie compensation in terms of um what do you mean you know, by that so like if you burn 100 calories from exercise you'll you won't just get all those calories you'll compensate for it by about 28 calories so yes it increases hunger but not enough to compensate for the increased expenditure now that does that probably has a break point where it doesn't continue in that manner um so some people would say well, why why not just always increase expenditure well because people have lives and got to make money, right? So, um, and I do think there is something to like, you know, the modality of cardio. Like if you're always just doing one modality, your body gets really efficient at it. And so, you know, there is something to possibly like mixing it up a little bit. But again, like most people, like I'm a, a busy person. I can get in 10,000 steps, but I've kind of like got to be purposeful about it. Like, Usually when I do my social media posting, I'll go for a walk, you know, while I'm doing it. And that'll help me get to my 10,000 steps. But some people don't have that option. They're stuck at a desk all day, right? Like I have one guy, um, I, I still have a few clients. Uh, one is a hedge fund manager. And, um, you know, he's basically like watching the market all day, sitting at a desk, right? And so like he can't get up and just go for a walk because if something dips, he's got to be ready to go, you know? So... Um, for, for them, like we try to, I try to find ways to sneak more activity in, but for the most part, we've got to modify through calorie reductions, right? And, um, in general, what I typically do is, you know, find out upfront, how much exercise can you do per week? Like, what is your, what is your limit? Right. And hopefully we don't, we don't start out at the top, you know, we get, leave some room to, to wiggle. Um, and then beyond that, we have to do calorie reductions, right? Um, if somebody in, you know, some, some comp prep competitors basically structure the life. So where comp prep is their life. So in that case, you know, I don't really like to get to the point where somebody's doing like two, three hours of purposeful activity, like, you know, beyond resistance training. Like to me, it just gets to be like, all right, where's, there's gotta be like some reasonableness to it. Um, but obviously you can afford to, to let them do more expenditure. Um, but you're right. Like what is once a deficit will eventually become maintenance. And a great example of that is if you lose 10% of your body weight, the research suggests that your BMR can adjust by 15% down. 
um, beyond just what you what you um, beyond what you would expect from dropping weight. Because obviously, if you're 100 kilos, lose 10 kilos, you're now 90 kilos. It takes less energy to carry around 90 kilos and 100. So when we say 15%, that adjustment down is beyond what you would expect just from the loss of body weight. And this is different to TDA, right? When you're saying right, that. right. Because uh, BMR is basically the cost just to keep the lights on, right? So if I, like literally uh, BMR, when you measure it, you have somebody lay down and just breathe. They're not asleep, but they're just resting, right? So when we say your BMR is like 1,800 calories or something like that, that means it, if you just lay down all day, it'd take 1,800 calories to maintain your body weight. Uh, and assuming you don't eat anything because TEF also. Um, yeah. So anyways, so if, you're, if your BMR can adjust down by 15%, and my BMR is like, it's closer to 1,900, but let's say 2,000 just for the sake of ease. And then my maintenance calories are around 3,400. If I lose 10% of my body weight, uh, so let's take off 15% from my BMR, that's 300 calories. And then if we look at the uh, information on meat, right. you can have a four to 500 calorie reduction um, with a loss of 10% body weight. So if we take off 400 calories, my maintenance went from 3,400 to 2,700. So 2,700 might've been my deficit calories. And then all, you know, by the time I'm at 10% body weight, I'm not losing, I'm not losing weight from that. Right. So the one other thing I will say is, and I saw this comp prep competitors and some people as well, the leaner they get, the more they start sneaking like little snacks and bites and they're not tracking everything, you know, um, cause they're hungrier. And it's like, you almost like lie to yourself. Like, Oh, it's just, you know, a couple of calories. It doesn't matter. Uh, a couple of calories a few times a day turns into a couple hundred calories. Um, and the other thing I've seen too, is a lot of these competitors will use, you know, like low calorie items, low calorie foods, but you got to realize like, it's not like the FDA goes in and tests every single one of these foods. Many of these foods have been found to contain a lot more calories than they claim, especially the homemade stuff. So we actually, there was um, some brownies that was made by a comp prep um, competitor that was very popular in the States. And we, my company tested those. They claimed to have 17 grams of protein, 12 grams of carbs, and three grams of fat. You know what they had? They had three grams of protein, 50 grams of carbs, and 17 grams of fat, I believe. And people are eating like two or three of these a day. And they're like, why can't I lose weight? Calorie deficit doesn't work. No, you're eating three times the calories you think you're getting. So what I will say is like, hey, if you're having trouble losing weight before you assume it's your metabolism, just really do a strict accounting of what you eat in a day. And if you're eating like a bunch of low calorie stuff, try to switch more to whole foods and, and just see what happens. And if you still maintain, then you can be pretty confident that, you know, you do need to make an adjustment. And in general too, I would say for most people, when I make an adjustment, I try to reduce calories by a little bit, usually from carbs and fats. I'll drop carbs and fats by like, you know, 10%-ish. Um, and then I'll add just a little bit of activity. And hopefully that's enough to kind of kickstart things. So we've, when we're talking, obviously, breaking plateaus, that's one thing. But then there's also another side of things is actually just getting people started on a fat loss phase. And again, over the years, I kind of see a lot, lots of different kind of ideas out there, you know, go a really conservative approach um, around about, you know, building habits and things like that. And obviously high calories, probably potentially for most people easier to adhere to and maintain lean mass. And then 
also you do see more aggressive approaches and these days i've noticed i'm not sure if you've seen it but i've noticed a lot of quite advanced personal trainers and people in fitness industry talking a lot about really aggressive short-term calorie deficits and um i actually saw do you know luke tulloch Australian coach, yeah, yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah. He's a really good Australian coach, and I saw him put a study out. I can't remember the study though. Yesterday about um, people who are um, obese and their weight loss success after a couple of years, and I think the research basically kind of showed that the people who did a, an aggressive approach initially, and the keyword is initially, seem to have better results at the end. No, it wasn't astronomically different, but it was um, seemed to be a little bit superior and not just short term i think it was like three years later so it's quite a long term which is what we want um and obviously there's causation correlation all that stuff with kind of the more aggressive approach so for me i i often get people you know who've never dieted before they go oh what well what's the difference i'm like well aggressive probably means potentially faster fat loss or it should be if you actually adhere to it the big thing is if and so then people go oh wow well fast fat loss sounds perfect i want that <laughs> Fat loss sounds easy. You know, we spoke about it. You know, calorie deficit sounds easy. And fat loss is, um, you know, fast fat loss sounds great. You know, I'll just eat less. Sounds easy until you get hungry and try to stick to it and adhere to it. And then not just stick to a calorie deficit, but manage your life, manage your stress, go to work, then also probably train and stuff like that. So where do you kind of sit on, I guess, who would be suited to more aggressive calorie deficits? Because I'm on the belief that, I actually quite like work, you know, with a more advanced person who's died before and has experience with it. If they want to get do an aggressive approach for a holiday in four weeks or something, I think they're actually better people to do it because they have the skills and I guess the ability to, I think, mentally understand hunger and stick at it. So where do you kind of sit with that? Yeah, there's a few things, a couple of parts to this question. I think the first thing is like, now, obviously, there's concern of loss of lean mass, but keep in mind with obese people, because they have so much fat mass, they, you know, when we say like typically you lose like 30, 40% lean mass for people who don't resistance train during a fat loss phase. It's not like they just every single week, it's 70% fat, 30% muscle or 30% lean. It's probably a curve. And when you first start and you have more fat, you probably lose very little lean mass other than water, Right. It's once you start to get leaner, the amount, the proportion that comes from lean mass gets to be higher because your lean mass is the proportion of your total mass is greater. Like, you know, at a certain point, like, especially when you're getting a comp prep compared to those last little bits of body fat, your, your body is much more focused on maintaining fat mass than it is lean mass because that is what you have so little of, right? So I think and the other part of this for obese people is, um, you know, it's not that aggressive initial fat loss has some effect on metabolism. What you're, what you're seeing is they're getting a buy-in, right? So a lot of obese people have tried a lot of different approaches. They felt like it didn't work. When they see fast results, they go, okay, this works for me. And so I'm in, right? And so they buy all the way in. Whereas if you're trying to get them to do it slowly, a lot of times they're like, eh, you know, like, and their weight fluctuates up uh, one day and they freak out and then they quit, right? So it's about getting that buy-in, especially with people who have tried multiple approaches, who are obese. Um, now, I will say 
I think over the course of time, it should look relatively conservative in terms of like about 1% of your body weight per week. But that doesn't mean there can't be periods of time that are very aggressive, right? In fact, I've actually switched for myself when I do fat loss, I do kind of what I call fat loss sprints. So I try to get about at least a percent of my body weight off per week if it's just like two or three weeks, right? And the reason I do this is because, like you said, like you and I, our, our lifestyles now are not what they were, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, where it was like, okay, I don't really have a ton of other stuff going on, even though I thought I was busy. I was not busy. <laughs> um, and so, you know, now with kids and all that kind of stuff, it's like, I mean, I may have weeks where like, I'm like, okay, there's a two week period here, go, right? And then what I'll do is like, then I have travel come up or then I have an event come up or then I have, you know, like more intense training coming up. Then I'll just hit maintenance for one, two, three, four, five, six weeks. And then if the goal is overall fat loss, you know, okay, here's another two week time period. Let's go. Right. In fact, I had a, um, a client who's a multi-billionaire and his lifestyle was so hectic because he was literally flying to the other coast, like every single week, we would basically go, okay, what days do we have while you're home? Right. Let's go super aggressive, like thousand calorie deficit those days where you're home and all your meals are prepared and everything. And then every other day, let's just do maintenance. Right. And we actually got 20 pounds off of them doing things that way over, you know, like a, a, like a 12, 16 week time period. Now there were weeks where he lost like three or four pounds. Right. But if you look at the overall weight loss, which is, you know, like, you know, 20 pounds over 12 weeks ish, that's pretty reasonable, you know, but if we had tried to do it like a straight deficit the whole time, what would probably have happened is, you know, he wouldn't have lost as much on the weeks where he was home and had access to everything. And then the weeks where he was away, he'd probably gotten frustrated with trying to hit these deficit calories, feel a little bit hungry, a little bit off of his plan. And might have been more likely to actually just overeat because people go into fuck it mode. You know what I mean? So I actually really like this. I call it kind of like fat loss sprints. You know, I really like programming this where it's like, okay, because, because fat loss is pretty easy when your stress is low, you've got your meals planned, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, where do people blow diets? It's not at 10 a.m., on uh, a, a Friday after they've got eight hours of sleep and had low stress. It's at 10 p.m. at night after a stressful day at work. The kids are driving them nuts. They're fighting with their spouse. That's where people blow diets. And so if we have the ability and a tool to just press pause for a little bit while people have this more stressful period, you know, I remember Ethan Suplee, uh, who's a Hollywood actor who lost over 300 pounds. Um, for those who aren't familiar, he was in Remember the Titans and American History X, and my name is Earl. So he said, I never realized, like, I could just maintain if I wanted to. Like, I was always either in fat loss mode or I was in fuck it mode, right? And so it was really a game changer for him when he realized, oh, I can just press pause for a little while, you know? And I think a lot of people don't really think about that. So I, it, it just depends. Some people, they love the monotony of, you know, same thing every day, just straight deficit, you know, and that's totally fine. But if you're somebody who, like, feels like you you do better with a little more buy-in with some aggressive fat loss, but then like pausing when things are, you know, tough, you know, you can choose. Do you want to jog the marathon or do you want to sprint for portions and then, you know, walk for portions? It's up to you. And 
when I'm talking aggressive deficits, I'm normally talking about a 40% from your TDE. What, mm-hmm. what is your kind of range for what you would consider aggressive? Yeah, I usually think about like percent body weight per week, but we're like, I think anything over 30% is pretty aggressive. So I think 40% is, is really aggressive, you know? So for me, I maintain my body weight on like, you know, 3,400 calories a day. So, I mean, that would look, you know, let's see here. A 40% deficit would be like 1,600 calories. I mean, I'd be looking at probably like around 1,800 to 2,000 calories a day. That's pretty aggressive, you know? But if I did that, I would probably lose, you know, well, first week I'd probably lose like three, four pounds. And then like the weeks after that, I'd probably lose, you know, two, two and a half pounds. So, but if I've got everything set up, my meals are all prepped, I don't have any events on, that's not that difficult for me, you know? So continuing with our fat loss theme, um, Lane has a very successful supplement company, which we'll kind of get into, but that's kind of what leads me to our next topic. And, you know, there's so much around around marketing of supplements around fat loss and obviously muscle building, all that stuff. And, and you would have seen it obviously in the bodybuilding magazines, everything over the last 20, 30 years. And now on social media, there's still kind of extremes. Um, the big question, I guess, is from a stand a standpoint of fat loss. If we're trying to lose fat naturally, we're not talking about illegal substances and stuff like that. If we're trying to lose fat, you have a you know everyday lifter who wants to lose weight. What is evidence based to actually not necessarily directly influencing fat loss, but indirectly? What is I guess a positive addition to obviously diet and exercise that will help people actually lose weight which is actually backed by science and things like that this is really going to shock people um so it's not the thermogenics that you think or the quote-unquote thermogenics now caffeine we took we discussed induces a very small to modest amount of weight loss so there's that most people are already consuming that so you know check (laughs) And then there is some evidence that like L-carnitine can cause like a little bit of fat loss, but again, it's really, really modest. Um, I'm going to look at things that change body composition, you know, and creatine actually has some of the best data for fat loss. Now, a lot of this is you're looking at body fat percentage, right? So creatine increases lean mass, which then correspondingly decreases your percent body fat. But um, there is some evidence and some studies that have shown that creatine, they've actually seen like reductions in fat mass. Now, I don't know if that's just a function of people like training harder, using more load, that sort of thing. It could be. But hey, if you can add a supplement and it's been shown to cause fat mass loss, who gives a crap if it's through metabolism or whatever else it is, right? Creatine is one of those funny ones where I think people are terrified to use it in a diet because like, oh, bloating and all this stuff. So how do you kind of, I guess, answer that question? Because people always seem to confuse, oh my God, well, if the scale goes up right away, then it's going to ruin my fat loss. And people don't get the two different things. Let's be real. We're talking about women here. Women are terrified of creatine. Um, so the so first off, you have to disconnect bloating from water retention. These are two different things, right? So water retention is water in the uh, extracellular space. Bloating is a GI issue, right? Creatine can cause bloating, which because it is a gut irritant, and especially with people who load, they tend to have bloating issues. 
Um, so don't load if you're worried about that. And if you still have problems with GI issues, I'd recommend splitting the five gram dosage up into a morning and evening two and a half gram dose. But the water retention from creatine is exclusively inside the muscle cell. So the water retention actually goes where you want it to go, where it will make you actually look better, not worse. So if you can get over the fact that your scale might bump up just a little bit, uh, initially, it's not gonna stay there, then creatine is a fantastic supplement. Who doesn't wanna perform better, be stronger, have more lean mass and less fat mass? So what I would say to the people out there who are worried about it, get over it. Yeah, it's funny when people kind of, I think, just naturally think of supplements, like they want that magic fix. And unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. And no matter what, even talking to educated people over the years of being a trainers and I've done courses, people are always still looking for a quick fix. And, you know, the power of diet, exercise is always just going to be a winning formula as boring as it sounds. So where does supplements then come into play for people then like like we often talk about the importance of, of of you know the mainstream things and the hierarchy of importance and stuff like that how do supplements come into play because for me i'm a huge fan of say i don't even, i personally don't even see whey protein as a supplement i just see it as a as a meal it's like the best protein source you can get and i think it's something every single person you know should be having it's just so efficient it's so uh, from a price standpoint for what you get it's just perfection you know um so for you, like, what would you say would be probably ideal that majority of people should be having? And we're talking here, gym, training, performance, muscle building. We're not talking um, health and stuff like that from vitamins and stuff like that. Just so. so yeah, from a body composition standpoint, I kind of have like, like my first two tiers and then third tier is like, meh, maybe it does something. Uh, so first tier, creatine. And when I say creatine, Creatine monohydrate. Do not waste your money on anything else. Everything else is a scam. Literally everything. Um, like creatine ethyl ester, been shown to be less bioavailable than or less available to the muscle than actual creatine monohydrate. Uh, buffered creatine like creocalin, um, not more, doesn't increase fossil creatine stores more and it costs like four times as much. Creatine monohydrate, creatine monohydrate. Creatine. If you want to go up a level, go micronize creatine monohydrate because it's more soluble, mixes up better. So creatine, whey protein, which you mentioned, caffeine, that's my tier one, right? Just thousands of research studies showing it improves body composition. Tier two, things like betaine or trimethylglycine, referred to by both, uh, been shown to improve body composition in a few studies. Uh, ashwagandha has some really compelling evidence that improves body composition, decreases stress. Uh, actually, melatonin. There's some studies showing that melatonin improves body composition. Um, it's been thought that that was just, you know, um, an adjunct to just improve sleep, but there is some evidence that uh, it may improve lean mass more than just from the improvement in sleep. Um, so those, and then you've got things like citrulline and um, maybe beta alanine uh, that improve performance, recovery. So that might help you train harder, be able to gain more mass over the long haul. Um, I really like nootropics, you know, like rhodiola rosea, uh, is a nootropic slash adaptogen, decreases fatigue, perception of fatigue, you know, things like that. Those are like my tier two where it's like, you know, there isn't the overwhelming amount of evidence, but there's pretty decent evidence that it probably does something. 
Um, so beyond that, like, I don't like, you know, people, what do you think about turkesterone? What do you think about, and like, first off, keep in mind, most of these things are just regurgitated and dug up by supplement companies. Turkesterone or ectosterone, which turkesterone isn't exactly ectosterone, but it's a derivative ectosterone. Uh, that was popular when I was getting into bodybuilding in like 1999. And once every 10 years, when these supplement companies can't make money, they go to the supplement graveyard and dig up something that was popular 10 years ago, unearth it, and prop it back up like, look at this new thing we found. Um, doesn't do jack. The stuff that works sticks. That's why creatine, whey protein, caffeine, they've never gone away. So I think, I guess, to summarize today's episode about fat loss, it's nothing too earth shattering. Unfortunately, I think people always just, when you get someone smart on, Sorry, guys. like want this amazing thing, you'll pl be pleased to know. I, I do chat about a lot of these things, um, but I'm obviously sure. Lane has a, a bit more depth to um, his knowledge and explaining these things in detail. So again, if you want to lose weight, unfortunately, yes, you do need to create a calorie deficit. Um, if you hit a plateau, you can use either cardio, you can drop drop calories, um, you can do both. There's no real one, one way fits all approach, which is really important. Aggressive deficits, they can be a tool at the right time. Again, I'd still say personally, most people, majority of the time, trying to lose weight on as many calories as you can is probably a pretty good approach for the vast majority of people, um, especially if you've never died before. And then supplements, as Lane said, you know, there's, we've got our proteins, we'll get our creatine, caffeine. I think most people have these already. And, you know, so if you're not getting results and you're having those supplements, the answer probably is not in the supplements. It's. And by the way, everything that I talked about and just listed is in our Outwork Nutrition products, which actually you, you did say that you liked the, the pre-workout today. So shameless plug, but you did say you enjoyed it. No, I, I'll say that I, I remember even I was telling Lauren, you sent me um the pre-workout ages ago and there was something in it. I forget. And you didn't, I don't know if you mentioned it. Something with focus. I yeah. think rhodiola. Uh, yeah. You want to explain that one? Because that's something I noticed a big difference. And I had it today at the gym. Oh, and, and uh, also uh, L-DOPA. So, yeah. so we have a um, an extract of L-DOPA from a naturally occurring, um, um, I can't remember what it's actually from, but it's a naturally occurring herb or something like that a where leaf. they extract yeah it might be it might be a leaf or bark or something i don't know i don't know the particulars i just know we get eldova out of it, well, I know it works. <laughs> yeah um and so like there's not a lot of evidence with eldopa and exercise um and it's a small dose of eldopa it's not like you're not like snorting blow in the in the in the bathroom you know um but anecdotally especially for me like one i feel focused and i feel confident and you just kind of feel good. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that there's like some synergism with the rhodiola as well with the caffeine. Rhodiola has been shown to like, kind of like take the edge off the caffeine to where you don't have that big sharp rise and big crash. It kind of evens it out a little bit. So yeah, like our, like, I think the feedback on our pre-workout has been like, it gets you really focused and, you know, pretty jacked, but you don't have like a big crash afterwards, which is kind of nice. Yes, I I actually do. I told Lane that I do highly recommend the outwork. Yay! Uh, um, so the 
as I said, the pre the pre workout is something I definitely really really enjoyed from a focus standpoint. So that's good to have him clarify that. Um, unfortunately, we are going to have to wrap up the podcast here, guys. I could chat about a lot of this stuff forever. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy. We're going to yes. in a minute. So Lane, obviously, you've got endless amount of businesses, um, supplement company, um, the carbon, the nutrition app, which is just absolutely crushing it. Um, BioLane, obviously, you've got your courses over here in Australia with Clean Health. Um, what else? Are you what is that? Anything I'm missing? That's probably something. Uh, workout Builder, Research Review. So, do you just want to give everyone yeah. a rundown for for us um, where they can find you and yeah. Yeah, so now I just tell people Instagram is like my digital business card, you know, so you can go there, click the link, and that has everything that I sell. Uh, but, you know, we just launched the Physique Coaching Academy with Clean Health. Uh, Mark, you've done some of my courses before, but this really expands on it. This is an eight-month mentorship for anybody who wants to coach, um, you know, fat loss, building muscle, strength. It's basically going to be like a university-level education specifically in body composition, um, and that's what myself and Professor Bill Campbell, who's also one of the goats when it comes to body composition. And I think what's great about me and Bill is we have the research background, but we're able to speak to people in a way that's like it's understandable and digestible, which is unlike a lot of academics. So I'm super excited for that. We literally launched that yesterday, um, have already 200 students. It's going extremely well. We had our first call with over 100 students on it live, and they were so enthusiastic and they loved the material so far. So I'm super pumped about that. Um, so you can find out about that. Uh, it's the Physique Coaching Academy. Um, and then the BioLane Workout Builder, if you're looking for customizable training templates, you know, you can go to the BioLane website. Uh, also our research review. So I know like a lot of people ask me like, hey, how do you learn to read studies? The BioLane Research Review Reps is a great investment. It's only $12.99 a month US. And it will like, if you read it long enough, you will have a really good idea of how to read these studies and break them down. Uh, and we even include a how to read research, like 50 page ebook as part of the membership. Um, so have that, my supplements, obviously outward nutrition, the, the nutrition coaching app carbon. And then we have our, um, our coaching team, team BioLane, which has done really well. And we service over a thousand clients a year. So we can pretty much, my goal is to be able to take people wherever they are and have something for them. And I, I think we've created that now. So there you go, guys. Obviously, a lot of things, you know, I don't have many people on the show ever, really. I think Lane's like our second, second, third guest <laughs> or something. Um, in, I'm jealous of Lauren. In one year. <laughs> so um, Lane, obviously, is someone you guys know I've talked about over and over, and I couldn't recommend all of his courses. You know, I've, I'm a person who has dived into all these courses i didn't go to university but i'm smart enough to go learn from smart people like lane which is what i think so many coaches should do you know so what you get for the 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 price is just insane so highly 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 recommend go check out all lane stuff and thank you so much for coming on and being shirtless on on our podcast in my in my house only for you baby Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a um, five-star rating review and also share to your audience and make sure you go follow Lane um, on his BioLane Instagram. Thanks, guys.